Mark Selby. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well, sir. Happy New Year. Well, yeah, Happy New Year. We can just about say that now. Yeah. Um, but, but but we have traditions in this household, Mark. And yes, one do. was your party too, which is we always look back and do a review of what happened last year. But, but more importantly, more excitingly, you make a call on the on the year year coming up. And so far, so far, three years in a row, you've got it right. Yeah, mostly right. You know, and and, and then one thing I always try and do is actually score my forecast from the prior year, which, you know, I wish more commodity analysts do. A lot of them just tend to just make up a bunch of new numbers for the, the coming year, which may or may not have any relation to their forecast in the prior year and, and very little to no acknowledgement that they either got it totally. Well, they usually claim when they got it totally right. But if they miss the boat, then, you know, they just talk about the upcoming year. So I think it's you always it. instructive to look at uh, what happened in the past. Right or wrong, exactly. Now, I might, this is my favorite. I got contacted by uh, uh, one of our subscribers recently. He was, you know, we, we, we dared to criticize one of the analysts. And he said, well, this guy called it in 2014 that we would see these prices. I said, by when? I said, well, no, he just said the prices would go. Okay, he was more eight years ahead of his time. Yes. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get behind that guy now. Right, okay. Um, like I say, so we we are, we obviously we speak um, every week on the battery show on on the app at crossinvestor.com. Please go along, take a look, folks. Fourteen day free trial in there if you want it, um, and we kind of see what's talk about the macro um, thematics for well nickel quite often and and, and other things too. But um, you've got a little presentation for us today, so I'm I'm going to not not do too much work, which which is the way I like it, Mark. Sure. So do you want to share your screen and maybe we can get into it? Yeah, perfect. So 2022, sort of three and a half out of five, a solid uh, 70% um, on the demand side. Um, you know, the the thing uh, I underestimated was how much stocking that we saw in 2021. I had factored that in, you know, uh, the you can see further down that I thought, you know, prices were going to be pretty choppy during the first half of the year. Um, and those of you who watch the show regularly, you know, will know that, um, you know, I saw the market, um, you know, going to be pretty sloppy through the first half because um, they had overstocked. But, you know, the, the demand was actually quite soft in the first half of the year. Um, despite that, the market, because it had been so tight, remained tight. And then obviously, you know, we had the Russian invasion, um, you know, which caused nickel to go through its massive spike, which I did not call. Um, and because I didn't forecast that the Russia was actually going to invade um, Ukraine. But I think the key thing here is, you know, one, this is the part that analysts get wrong, you know, time and time again, nickel is a high growth metal. You know, it does not grow at two to 3% a year on average, it grows at four to 5%. And when you have a new use, uh, it grows at much higher growth rates, uh, you know, much higher growth rates, uh, you know, than, than those kind uh, of numbers. Um, so we saw we saw growth in the stainless market. Uh, again, you know, that's that's the piece that people underestimate. Stainless itself is a high growth market. It's not just China. It's about a high strength, you know, high strength to weight metal that in in today's market where people are looking to, um, you know, find ways to make their their everything they're doing more energy efficient and have better life cycle costing. You know, stainless, uh, you know, is is always always in place. Uh, the one thing I did get right, you know, we did see massive supply growth come out of Indonesia. Um, so over 15% per year. Again, normally a 15% growth number would make people panic, but we had such a big deficit uh, coming out of 2021 um, and continued strong growth that, you know, we've ended this year with 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 a surplus. Um, 
again, which, uh, you know, I was thinking that we would end up in a balanced uh, market, but with demand coming in lower than expected, you know, not surprising that we did see uh, some surplus. But again, you're seeing very little inventory. So, that, you know, this is the thing as, as a, you know, if you're an investor and say, okay, you know, we've seen, you know, no growth in, in nickel inventories, stainless inventories globally that are, that are, that are visible or, or, you know, reported, you know, of any size. So, you know, why are these massive surpluses there? This is the thing, again, that analysts get wrong. You know, when you have a brand new set of uses, when you have entire brand new supply chains being set up, there's effectively first fills, you know, as you fill up a plant to build it, as you fill up a delivery chain to do. And so, you know, I think what you'll see is, you know, as people go through their numbers for the end of the year that, you know, the surpluses, you know, that started the year for some of these guys at 100,000 tons, you know, plus, uh, you know, in, in, in the market and are whittled down now to kind of 50 to 80,000 tons, I think you'll see those get even smaller uh, going forward. And, and again, this is going to be a factor as we have this massive growth in the battery supply chain over the next three to five years. So this first fills, um, you know, is going to be an issue across all of the battery metals um, and is something, again, analysts do, do a horrible job uh, properly accounting for you know net net the thing that's important is you know where, where did the market actually end up and, and where were prices and, and again i think uh, pretty proud of the fact that you know i think one of the few people calling the the market at the beginning of last year you know that we were going to see pricing improve as we went into the fourth quarter and what was really driving that was once we got through the destocking in the first half of the year and the ev side you're going to see a massive the underlying growth is massive and and that it would reassert itself as we got um in into this you know the third third and fourth quarter and again in these destocking cycles when you have a high growth if you're here and you've destocked and the growth is going like this you know the demand has to do this to catch up so you see these really sharp increases and that's exactly what we saw coming into the the end of the third quarter and and, and through the fourth quarter you know which pushed nickel prices up, you know, into the into the twenty four thousand uh, dollar a ton range. Other thing, you know, pretty proud of in terms of, you know, the, you know, two three years ago, you go back to the very first videos. I talked about how this whole class one versus class two stuff was just nonsense. That it was a short term gap, and that you could take laterite material from laterites or material from sulfides and take them to whichever market, you know, that the, the market wanted that material and that mat was going to be the product that would emerge to make that happen. And so, you know, we saw a massive ramp up um, in, in mat production, you know, throughout 2022, that's going to continue in 2023. And I'll talk some more about that um, in our forecast for 2023. But I think, you know, one stat to really, really highlight here is, you know, 78% of the nickel sulfate that was produced in China was produced from either MAT or MHP. Those are not class one finished nickel products. Those are semi-processed intermediate products that are being converted into a final product. That's exactly, you know, you're, you're going to see the processing capacity get built to take these products, you know, and convert them into a usable product. It's the best way to make them, um, you know, and again, this is a trend that, that that's going to emerge uh, emerge going forward. And, and so, uh, now the, the one thing is again, with, with the market being a little bit slacker in terms of the demand side, you know, we're st we still have this big overhang, um, and we're not going to get through that gap. Um, so that overhang is being translated into big discounts for NPI, Matt and MHP right now, by the end of the year, and we'll talk pivot in the 23 forecast, you know, I expect that, you know, to change, uh, pretty dramatically as, as we, 
get in, you know, by the end of end of next year. So again, pretty happy with where everything landed. I was expecting a little more demand, you know, but but net net, you know, was pretty happy with the call for 2022. So, what, so what's the difference, Matt, and mixed hydroxide precipitate (MHP), and, and why why are producers gravitating towards that kind of sulf- that was sulfate producers gravitating towards that? Yeah, so the the key piece, you know, with why this why this you know sort of saw this happening. So so Matt and MHP are basically intermediate products. So MHP is produced by uh, pressure acid leach plants uh, that are processing uh, laterite ore. So um, instead of going all the way to a finished ninety nine point eight percent product in in a single facility, it makes a lot more sense just to go to the intermediate and rather than build that refining capacity at a remote location in a developing country is just, you know, build a bigger plant in China, you know, that can process it, um, uh, you know, process it there at a much larger scale because it's taking feed in uh, from different locations. So that's sort of benefit number one. Benefit from number two is if you look at the way, you know, how are the people actually using this material? And so the first thing that happens with all these materials is they basically get dissolved uh, and then the battery company, you know, they're making a very, very, very tight specification. So they actually do a bunch of refining and cleaning up steps to be able to get it to that very tight specification. So for them, it's really, you know, taking an intermediate product that that has some ad- additional impurities in there. It's just about adding some refining capacity to a process, you know, that they've already got built. And the fact that they're only dissolving at once as opposed to, um, you know, basically going through to, to a final product and then taking that product and dissolving it uh, anyways, uh, you know, just just makes makes a lot more sense. So this sort of integrated processing from from raw intermediate product into a final precursor product is something that, you know, I you know, thought would emerge and, and, and makes a lot of sense. And you're going to see more of, you know, as as this evolves over the next next three or four years. And, and does this kind of, and part of the phrase, um, clean, clean things up a bit, because you're seeing a lot of, um, you know, the automotives moving towards um, MHP as well. Is that is that the driver of it, um, for all of this? Because, you know, when we first started talking in the early days, we were having conversations about clean nickel, dirty nickel. You know, Indonesia's got a, a track, well, you know, question, questionable um, environmental track record, yeah. you know, Chinese likewise, but, you know, things have changed. Things seem to be moving. So is that driven, being driven by the, the OEMs, battery manufacturers, or, or was this inevitable? It was inev- it was it was more inevitable. The, the, the car companies, MHP, because you're not, you know, the problem when you make, again, when you make mat from nickel pig iron um, in, China, in Indonesia is you still are using a huge amount of coal. Um, to, to make nickel pig iron, and they, they basically take that nickel pig iron and then convert it into mat. The pressure acid leach process uses a lot more, lot less electricity, and, and, and in Indonesia, it's all coal-fired electricity. So by default, this MHP product, you know, ends up with a, um, you know, ends up with a lower carbon footprint um, than you would see for the other material. But it, it's really about, you know, from a from a pressure acid leach to be able to use. There's two types of ore within laterites. There's saprolites and limonites. And to be able to convert the limonite into a usable product, you need to use something like a pressure acid leach process. So to get those nickel units, it just makes sense um, to, you know, to bring. And we're seeing lots of, of you know, HPAL capacity come on in Indonesia that's going to produce you know, this MHP product uh, you know, going forward. So structurally for the industry, it was the right, right thing, right product to do. And, it, and, and again, it's all about optimizing the entire value chain cost and, and, and going to MHP and then processing it 
having the, the you know, uh, person process it, uh, it is, is, is the best way, you know, to make that happen. Right. Okay. We better get back to the forecast sure. component of this. I just, I just want to kind of clear up some of the terminology that, um, again, it causes a lot of debate um, on social media. But, uh, yeah, sorry. No worries. On. on to 2023. Um, so, um, you know, as we move into uh, this year, um, the we've, we ended the year relatively strong. Uh, we've had a little bit of ease into the Chinese New Year. But the key thing here is, and, and again, I think the Chinese are even underestimating this, you know, in China, um, you know, lithium iron phosphate makes sense for most of the cars. You know, they're, they're not driving Ford F-150s. They're not you know, Chevy Silverado SUVs, you know, they are small cars, relatively short distances. Lithium iron phosphate is 100% suitable for those type of vehicles. What we're seeing, you know, next year and over the, the next coming years is in the US and Europe, you're seeing a whole pile of, of large vehicles. US automakers have focused almost entirely on electrifying their large truck SUV fleet because that's the part that's worth the part of the business they make all their money on and they want to make sure that no one no one scoops that. Um, and again, you're seeing more and more luck the luxury end of the market move to uh, move to having electric, uh, electric options. And so those batteries and those segments are almost all high nickel batteries. And so Disproportionately, you're going to see you know growth emerge, you know particularly with the Investment Reduction Act in in, in the U.S. with a bunch of subsidies now uh, for for EVs. You know as we move forward here, you're going to see you know a disproportionate amount of growth starting to come from the U.S. and Europe, which means a disproportionate amount of growth you know for high nickel batteries in those markets. So you know I think we will see you know double digit growth, you know 12 to 15 percent demand growth, which again will be as much higher. And where most commentators are seeing the market, and that's going to be driven by you know fifty percent plus growth demand from from the EV sector, and then as well strong growth uh, in in stainless uses back to its above sort of above trend growth six percent you know or, or or plus, and then the other part of the market that people uh, don't pay really pay any attention to, but it's it's a really important swing uh, amount of production is in the alloy market, you know, which is about ten to fifteen percent of overall nickel demand. Uh, oil and gas and aerospace are two big users uh, of that material, and obviously, with the you know in the first half of the pandemic, both of those um, you know sectors were hit really hard. Coming out of the pandemic, both of those are rebounding really strongly, and again, they have very long supply chains that need to be filled up to be able to you know it takes a long time to go from you know buying some nickel to make an alloy to having that alloy end up in a jet engine. So you know the. So you're going to see a lot of growth front loaded as as these sectors rebound, order books um, fill back up, um, and so you know again I think demand is is going to surprise significantly on the upside, on the supply side. You know again there's been lots of talk about how much supply is coming from Indonesia, and yeah no there's there's going to be a lot of NPI and a lot of MAT that's coming, um, but the the key thing I think that people miss on the supply side just because the Chinese build capacity doesn't mean it's going to be completely filled. If you look across a range of sectors in China, capacity utilization is is, is, a, is far lower than what you would see, you know, in a, in a Western plant. And, you know, particularly in, in Indonesia, structurally, you know, when you build a big mining or processing plant in North America, you know, you've got a huge fixed capital base. You have a huge, you know, your labor costs are a big portion of your overall um, uh, 
overall costs. And so, you know, you have to, you know, run that thing as close to 100% or preferably even 105% of capacity in order to make money. For these nickel pig iron, you know, through the stainless plants in Indonesia, you know, they, 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 they purchase their war from local producers. So that's a huge cost. The next bit, you know, the other massive cost, even larger than that, is the electricity that's required to convert that material, you know, in, into a final product. And when you look at the fixed overhead portion of the cost, it's very small. So they have no incentive to overproduce, to stockpile stuff, just to try and get their capacity utilization and unit cost down to a point because they just don't have the fixed overhead cost base that you would see in the West. And so, you know, this year, you know, even though we've seen a huge amount of increase in nickel pig iron, we really haven't seen much of an increase in stainless production, you know, in, 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 in Indonesia, even though there's, you know, there's a whack of capacity that's there because again, the, the, you know, they're not going to produce a product that the market's not there for. So again, I think, um, you know, I think, you know, you will see them continue to, because again, there's several large producers, Qingshan, DeLong, and others who dominate the market. And, and again, it's not in their interest to push to push prices down um, to the point where they're not making money. And I think the other part that people miss is, you know, with coal prices going up, uh, you know, ore prices, uh, you know, have, have also gone, gone up um, in, in Indonesia. You know, there's, uh, you know, the the cost, the cost structures are, are, you know, are quite high and again, are going to be relatively supportive uh, to prices going forward. So again, I think we'll see big supply growth, but I do not see a scenario where we're going to see a massive amount, massive surplus emerge, you know, at any point in time for any sustained period, um, you know, over, over the next couple of years, which again, I think a lot of uh, commentators are missing. So you're not concerned about the Indonesia components. I, I've spoken to fund manager who, you know, and, and you know, we, we, we talked about how, how analysts perhaps don't always get it right. And I think, you know, fund managers are usually uh, somewhat out of date. But, you know, his concern thrown at me was, well, Indonesia will just ramp things up and they'll be oversupply in the market. Yeah. You, you don't have that concern. No, no, I think, I, again, they've, they've, they've been, they've, they're adding lots of capacity. They've been somewhat disciplined and, and as well, sort of longer term structurally in the market. All of these U.S. and European automakers, you know, are not going to depend on Chinese controlled supply from Indonesia. You know, again, all the German, <laughs> you know, most of German industry has learned the hardware that Germany's dependence on Russia for, you know, for, for uh, oil and gas was was not necessarily the best strategic move. You know, the German auto industry is not going to turn around and, 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 and double down on another dictatorial communist regime, uh, you know, in, in China. So, you know, on both of those fronts, you know, I, I don't, you know, I think, I think we're going to be in, in, in relatively decent shape. And, and so now we're, again, I think this year, um, you know, we'll, again, will be a tale of two halves. First half, we're not, we don't have the same overhang that we did um, at the end of last year in terms of maybe buying a, a little too aggressively. Um, but, you know, I think we're going to start the year a little bit slow, given all the COVID that's happening in China. But Again, you know, what's going to drive this is, you know, people are underestimating, you know, you've got anywhere, you know, demand growth from the EV sector, there different commentators, you know, 15 to 30%. We're going to see, you know, again, much more than that. You're looking at 30 to 50%. We're on the steep part of an S-curve. And in those first few years, they're very big numbers. The only thing that's going to constrain that are the car company's ability, um, you know, to, to deliver vehicles. And I think as we get through mid-year, and, and see, we're going to see because last first half was weak, you're going to see very large year over year numbers, which are going to get people excited about what's happening in nickel because you you're going to see, you know, almost 80 percent growth 
uh, year over year from nickel demand from the EV sector during the first half, just because the first half was 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 weak as well as being, uh, you know, continued underlying strength. And that, you know, when we get to the second half of the year, we see another 50 to 80 percent growth and we go from, say, you know, 500,000 tons of, of, of nickel for the EV market in 2022. And we look like we're on track for 750 and people go, oh, geez, what happens if we see another 30 to 50% growth in the market? You know, where's, you know, where is this nickel, uh, you know, going to come from? So uh, again, I think you, you may see prices, you know, uh, come down again with this, with this point, there was an announcement this week, Ching Shen talked about converting a copper refinery to be able to produce, uh, nickel like a final lme deliverable nickel product i saw that you know that this was going to emerge and again if you've watched the show during the past is that we just need to see enough mat consumption come online and then the market will clear by moving nickel units out of the nickel pig iron market and into mat which can be used by the battery market and once that happens you're going to see lme prices come down effectively a little bit to where they would have been um, and you're going to see the big discounts that are now required to clear the market just on the npi side of the equation you know those things will you know tighten up to quote sort of more norm normalized range it won't be the case you know we're still going to see some pretty ugly numbers in terms of discounts through the first half of the year but as we get to the second half and by the end of 2023 i think you know you'll you'll you know finally see those things kind of get back to normal and then that will be the you know the go forward uh, approach and, and and as we go through that part through the first half of the year you know again i think we could see prices you know roll back down to lme prices roll back down towards twenty two thousand dollars a ton but you know again get back up um over those levels you know so that we're sitting in the mid mid twenty thousands or better um you know by the second half of the year by the end of next year right and the, the, the other thing that's sort of happened you talk about you know obviously no one could forecast russia but no one could actually forecast what shenanigans went on with the LME. Um, so the sector didn't kind of cover itself in glory in that moment, or certainly one individual and, and one group certainly, certainly didn't. Has that been rectified? Has that been looked at? Will that happen again? Because that kind of throws the market in some kind of disarray um, if, if that is a constant was that just a one-off? How do you view that? No, no, we're, we're in, a, in, a, in a bit of a structural issue for, for a you know, terminal market. For the product, you know the, the the issue right now is you really only have two exchanges. You've got the London Metal Exchange and you have the Shanghai Futures Exchange. And so, um, the, the the problems that we saw with the, with the LME meant that you know nickel was not you know not nearly as liquid as say copper as a, or aluminum as a contract. And part of you know part of what happened was a lack of liquidity in that space. Is you know a bunch of that liquidity has has drained away, and so some of it's migrated over to the Shanghai Exchange. Um, but again, there's a large portion of, of traders, buyers, sellers who are not going to start pricing their material, you know, off the, the Shanghai exchange. Um, and the issue is really, uh, you know, until we see a new credible exchange emerge, there's a group um, that's that's tied up with the um, commodity exchanges in Singapore uh, about establishing a new nickel contract. So we'll see, you know, whether that emerges, uh, you know, in in you know, over the next few years as a viable contract, you know, that enough liquidity, you know, it's one of those things that liquidity attracts more liquidity. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens uh, with that. But, you know, there's a desperate need for an effective, 
um, you know, traded uh, exchange product for this, and and hopefully the Singapore thing emerges. You know, we've already seen, and again, I, I don't know if the Chinese have been playing games with with pricing on the LME to make the LME as volatile as possible. You know, because they're really pushing to have you know everything priced off uh, Shanghai's future exchange as a basis and moving away from the LME as as, as a pricing basis. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it, it's going to continue to be a problem for the next 12 to 24 months and, until we get a real real thing emerge. I wish it wasn't the case, but that is going to be the case you know, uh, during this time period. Right. Well, um, let, 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 let's see how thing, things roll out this year. Obviously, I, you know, I, I hear what you're saying with regards to the um, supply side of things. Um, and also hear what you, uh, with, with regards to, you know, Indonesia, just well, in China, it, it, you know, just because they built a certain amount of capacity doesn't mean they'll kind of get there not they don't all run at nameplate all of the time so um that needs to be factored into supply numbers um but on the demand side it's it's very very encouraging with these kind of new sectors um you know coming into coming into the mix as it were um what so you you said you talked about giving yourself marks out of out of 10 for last year how do you think you did yeah well last year i think three and a half out of five or seven out of ten would be my score so you know, again, you, you never get 100%. It's tough to get 100% of these things, but uh, I think seven out of 10 is better than uh, better than right. where a lot of, you know, again, most, most of the commentators saw 2022 as uh, a market in surplus, you know, de- after a massive 17% growth in nickel demand in 2021, most of them saw nickel demand to be flat to, you know, relatively uh, low growth or even negative. Um, you know, a bunch of them had massive amounts of, of supply coming from Indonesia and the market being in a massive surplus, you know, all year. You know, at the, at the end of the day, prices, you know, nickel prices went up um, versus uh, you know, versus where it started at the end of the year. And, and, and none of that material has, has materialized in, in exchange inventories at all. So, um, you know, I would say most of the market got it very, very wrong after getting it also even more wrong in, in 2021. So we'll see what happens in, in 2023. And again, this is not uncommon. In in the early 2000s, most of the uh, market commentators didn't understand China and it took them really kind of three or four years of continued Chinese outperformance or Chinese outperformance versus expectations before the market woke up to the fact that China was for real and, and the kind of huge growth in, in metals demand was also for real. Um, so... Uh, again, I think the same same phenomenon is happening with with the EV market and people underestimating just how big and how quickly that you know that's going to grow. So yeah, well, I, well, the, 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 there therein lies the challenge because I think um, so far as we've discussed on a weekly basis, you know, the analysts are not um, calling it right when it comes to the EV side of things. You know, broadly, not just on the nickel side, you know, copper, everyone, um, it, it's growing rapidly. The you know, I don't, the COVID hasn't seemed to have got in the way of it. Um, that said, you know, Tesla. Um, Discounting in China doesn't seem to have gone too down too well over there, but in terms of the the, the uptake in uh, electric vehicles, it's it's incredible, absolutely incredible ecosystem that's being built out there. I think people are just noticing some of the conversations we we're having a year ago. Some of that content is only just kind of filtering into the market with regards to the size of the, the infrastructure builds across Europe and and even the uh, US. And I feel hopefully that does something for the equities market this year and gives a little bit more confidence that we saw in twenty twenty two. Yep. No, I, I think it'll be a good year. I, again, I think in, you know, just, just not just, not just nickel, but I think, you know, again, the disconnect between the physical commodities market and the equity markets for those commodities. I have, you know, again, I have to go back to that time when China was, was on the scene back into 2002, you know, for the scale of the disconnect. 
uh, between, you know, between those two markets. So I think, you know, hopefully it's been a tough year um, for, for, you know, mining investors, but I think, you know, 2023 is going to, and, and, and 2024 is, are going to be, you know, a couple of those years that uh, we'll, we will remember for a long time. Right. Okay. So you leave us with some, with some, some final thoughts. Um, what, what, what are we, what should we be focused on? What's important? What's not? So, so the key, the key here is, is, uh, again, you know, don't get distracted by the noise around, you know, what's Ching Shan's necessarily, you know, doing or saying we're in the midst of a conversion where we had one market clearing mechanism and we're going to a, a new market clearing mechanism, which is going to make the, the exchange prices more relevant to the entire nickel market. Once again, that's going to be in place uh, by the end, end of 20, uh, you know, my views that's going to be in place by the end of 2023. The big thing is, again, people, commodity analysts only get fired when they're really, really wrong. And the challenge when you have markets that are growing at 30, 50, 80% a year, if you if they attempt to try and forecast out to those levels, it leaves them open to be very, very wrong. And so as as, as a consequence, you know, they tend to, to be very conservative relative to those numbers. We see that in a lot of forecasts over the last few years. I saw this again in the early 2000s uh, when China emerged. And so I don't be put off by the fact that you might see a bunch of sell-side commodity analysts with not nearly as bullish forecasts for some of these battery metals um, as uh, as you might have done based on on, on your own work. Um, you know they're 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 just not incented to take the big bets when these big shifts happen, and and uh, and these are the times where you can make a huge amount of money in 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 the market if you do your work. Get comfortable with the, what's going to happen in the underlying commodity, and then you know, place your money accordingly. Tell me this: um, with regards to you mentioned it earlier, the, the kind of geopolitical components of this, and you know, we're very used to in the in uranium space talking about this, and critical minerals talking about this, um, but not so much on the battery metal side yet. Um, that said, you know, we talked about some some of the topics around that kind of triumvirate of you know China, Philippines, and Indonesia uh, feeding into the Indonesian uh, market, but also the the kind of push factors from OEMs, you know, battery manufacturers, etc. What, what what does it mean for the kind of Western producers and the way that you know you know guys like yourself you know view things going forward because there seems to be a whole bunch of new dynamics moving in here. You know, we we talked last week about your, um, you know, the, the, the carbon credits, the, the, the carbon capture side of things, um, you know, adding to the mix. We've talked about West versus East and possible, um, you know, incentives um, from, from government for clean nickel, nickel from the West. And you've mentioned it today, you, you know, a lot of consideration around not being dependent on a, you know, a communist state and, you know, supply chains to kind of feed into the into the car manufacturers. So it's a, it's a very dynamic and very different market in, in many ways, um, nickel at the moment. Oh, for sure. You know, that's the part is there's, again, so much airtime spent on class one versus class two. But the real bifurcation going forward is going to be basically high carbon Chinese controlled supply from, you know, from Indonesia, China, um, and, and processed from the Philippines and China um, versus low carbon, you know, Western, Western nickel supply, which, you know, has this year was the first year it grew a little bit um, after shrinking for six years. Um, you know, we're going to see massive amounts of nickel demand growth. You know, in the U.S., nickel demand has been 100. North America has been 150,000 tons of nickel, plus or minus 20 percent for 20 years. It was almost the same number when I worked at Inco 20 years ago. Um, nickel demand 
in the US in, in by the end of this decade is going to be four to 500,000 tons of nickel per year with all the batteries that are going to be required uh, you know, for the EVs that are going to be built in the United States. You know, that's a triple um, you know, from where we are today. And there's almost no visibility on supply. So as a company that has one of the very few projects um, you know, that can deliver nickel to the market in that time frame, and then again, has this whole district potential uh, associated with it. Again, this is this one of these once in a generational opportunities where, you know, where things come together and, and this, you know, the, the potential for zero carbon or nickel with carbon credits attached to it that, that we have is exactly the right kind of nickel for the next 50 years. You know, laterite ore in Indonesia was the right kind of ore to make enough stainless steel for all the stainless steel that China needed over the last 20 years. You know, we think these kind of deposits that we have, um, you know, are exactly the kind of deposit that the market needs for the next 100 years. Well, there we go. Folks, if you like what you heard, let us let us know. If you still have questions, let us know. Because again, they, you know, we, we do have people, need people coming in here, you know, who, re, Listen to, you know, snapshot commentators, you know, um, was it wannabe professionals or um, enthusiastic professionals um, and don't, don't always get it right. Um, we're kind of intrigued in how we're intrigued in what's going on here. We've had a look back at what's happened over the last three years, broadly, broadly moving in the right direction. Um, and we, we, we seem to have got, mostly got it right, I think, Mark, be fair to say. Um, but. Always here to learn, and if there's anyone who can help um, help us with information, which perhaps you think we, we haven't covered today, or if there's others who would like to know more, just reach out and, and let us know, and we'll be only too glad to help.